Greetings, standard nerds. This is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! This week on Robot Kraken, we appease the beast with a review of X-Men Apocalypse. I didn't even say Apocalypse. You didn't. I said Apocalypse. I was going to just to mention that you didn't say it in, in your, your wrong robot style. Uh, how, how you doing? <sighs> Tired, yeah. man. It's yeah. been a long... I, I swear, like, July has been going by very quickly, but it seems like every single day has about 35 hours in it, and none of them are like the, the pleasant island time hours that you expect to exist somewhere. Island time hours? <laughs> yeah, where like everything goes all chill and people are smiley and happy and I don't know. I imagine that exists somewhere. Now, Chris, every every third Twitter tweet or social media post you do is like or your wife does, to be fair, she sort of rats you out. It's like your thigh <laughs> plus popcorn and a dog and a book and a movie. Yeah, but so that's I at like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that's island time it, that is island time that means the the construction crew outside my house has finally fucking stopped <laughs> doing what they're doing for the night and i can sort of hear myself think again i cannot believe how much my entire house vibrates with this constant thrumming thump the entire time they're working well what's horrifying about it is they're slowly doing to you what they did to bugs bunny right they're carving around your house. And don't realize it until <laughs> suddenly my gonna... my house just lifts up and yep. <laughs> like open the door and be like, get off my land, and then yeah. you realize you have no land. Yeah. So I am up on a hill. So technically speaking, I guess they could carve me away. How's how's your week been, or month, or day, or whatever? It's been brutal, man. <laughs> uh, up to my eyeballs at work, uh, which. No sensible person complains about because it's feast or famine in my industry. Right. I'm in the building industry, so, you know, we got to take it while we can and work on the house. So, similar to what you're describing, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening um, re- related to the improvements to the exterior of our house. So, that's that's a bit stressful and just a lot to, you know, deal with and then the kids and so forth. But, but I'm happy to say I've managed to squeeze in more art. This Ooh. week than I probably did last month. <laughs> so, you sound a lot less sick than you did last time we recorded as well. Yeah, it's moved through. Yeah, I'm having some trouble. I can't. I can't get out of my lungs, so it, it affects me on the bike. You know, but yeah, yeah I, I, I'm. Yeah, I can't afford. You know what? I move at the speed of industry, man. I can't be held down by pestilence. I gotta go forward fast. Well, if our water department's attached to industry, you can move as slowly as you would like. I see what you did. You tied it back to your construction post. I have a question. What? Because we have a, we have a segment that we like to call sucking the mon- sucking the monkey. We need a we need a segment sound for that. It does not involve monkeys. So. I'm feeling a bit of a draft in my nether regions, and I must say, it's quite refreshing. It's a it's a metaphor, but uh, uh, I, so I keep looking because this may be an audio recording, but I'm using, we're using video, and I see 
I, I, I could swear you're drinking Ecto-1. Please tell me it's Ecto-1. It's called Ecto-Cooler, sir. It is. It is it's Ecto-Cooler. Ecto-Cooler, but I added a healthy oh, dose of coconut rum and a bit of lime to it, and I'm calling it the Island Spirit. Hey, how does it work? It's actually surprisingly delicious. I would hope it wouldn't be surprising. Since it's a little sweet for, for my taste, but it's really good. Huh. And it's so gloriously colored. Look at that green. Oh, that's great. So so Ecto-1 is the car. Yes. Ecto-Cooler was always the name of the yes. synthetic drink product. Yes, correct. Wow. And so they're re- so this is like a, they're just reissuing... Basically, in, they, in they, they changed the formula a little bit. Some of the citric acids are different, and they're using corn syrup instead of sugar now. And they have it out in cans and the juice boxes, but I haven't seen the juice boxes anywhere. I see. Um, the only reason I have any in the can is because uh, my co-host on Deeply Dapper Dispatches bought, like, four cases off of Amazon because he's, like, a rabid child of the 80s and could not miss out on Ecto Cooler. So he bought us like an obscene quantity, and he brought some by to me. Ah. And I so, thought, I should drink one on Robot Kraken. I think that you made an excellent choice. It's so, delicious. It, and also, I mean, it is it is jarring to see it in the can. It doesn't... It doesn't <laughs> I know. I saw that can, and it didn't compute to me what it was until you... Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's weird having it in a can instead of in the juice box. It if feels wrong somehow. Yeah, if you were hipper, it would be a juice box. Right? <laughs> I cannot hip. find the juice. Apparently, the juice boxes are only available at theaters and only certain chains of theaters. And my chain is not one of those chains. Ah. And I can't even imagine how much they charge for the boxes at these theaters because drinks of any sort at a theater is not cheap. What was your theater name? The Throbbing Gristle or something? It had a very phallic... <laughs> Name it's to it. called the car mic, but they have a certain theater that they call the Big D. Oh, okay, that's what I remember. <laughs> the throbbing I wasn't gristle. Cool. <laughs> that sounds like a, a '90s Lobo villain. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are was, you drinking? But wait, relative to that, I was listening to uh, the Weekly Planet uh, podcast, and they were talking about '90s. They were doing a whole segment this past week on movies. In the past, with the future, you know, set in the future, but the future has now passed for us, and did it, oh, did it okay. match up with, you know, that kind of thing. All is an excuse to, to talk about Free Jack at length. And anyway, at some <laughs> I've point, never they seen were, that. Yeah, don't worry about it. I saw, I actually saw it in the theater, which is something they laughed and said no one actually did. I did <laughs> first year in college, and you know, you it know. looked like something you would see in the theater. Honestly, it was terrible. I'm sure vodka was involved. So anyway, uh, they were at one point spitballing uh, randomly <laughs> names of. Uh, sort of uh, late 80s action movie, bad action movie names and I was just dying. Rapid Fire and you know, and the best <laughs> one was Fist of Punch, no, Fist of Punch you know? Nice <laughs> and I'm like, well, that, that's an entirely accurate superlative name for an action movie from the 80s. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing Okay, so I'm having I don't remember what we decided to call these, but I'm having a Dark and Stormy made with Delicious Crack and Rum, mm. the official unofficial yeah, rum of, of the Robot Crack and Podcast and I don't remember if we did we call this the the crack and stormy or the the dark and cracking or we had a name for it? Perfect storm, I think, is a what they call it. Storm. Yeah. So our three hundred and thirty three thousand listeners don't have to go back through their archives that they've saved meticulously right. on Bernoulli disc um, <laughs> to go back and get that tidbit and then and then tweet it to us or whatever. Okay, good. Well, that's what. So I'm what uh, what ginger beer did you use? 
I'm using not your father's ginger ale. That so is the only use for that ginger ale. Oh, sure. Right. It's not good it? solo, and I haven't found anything else it mixes well with, but you touch it to I the agree. Kraken, and it's wonderful. I know. It's a you know, little I... dangerous. That's what, that's what I was drinking when I busted that bookshelf can-can dancing after recording. <laughs> <laughs> not just after. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny that you mentioned touching it with the Kraken because uh, years late, I stumbled into Candy Crush because it oh, auto-downloaded. Yeah. My kids accidentally auto-downloaded or something, right. and I was like... There was a game like that on the iPhone years ago that I got hooked on called Bejeweled for a while, and then I gave it up because I don't have time for any of this, right? Correct. And so I started fiddling with Candy Crush, and I lost some otherwise productive time this past weekend that I could have been drawing or doing something. (laughs) Um, And I was any any available opportunity, I had it out, and I was ding, 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 and it's all about you know swapping the little tiles, and then the thing explodes. And sometimes you get a super thing, and if you touch it to another thing, an explosion of gummies or something happens or whatever. (laughs) And it's exactly the injury. It was like 48 hours of of, a, of just freebasing Candy Crush. I dreamt about it, and <laughs> when I was preparing this drink, true story, I imagined when I was pouring the Kraken rum into here, or or actually the other, other way around, I imagined one of those, you know. So this perfect storm blasted a bunch of candy in my in my tired uh, metaphor for my life, I guess. Nice. So, so so you're just now catching up with games from a decade or so ago while probably. everyone else is out there playing that crazy-ass Pokemon game? That Pokemon game. Maybe Jeez. we need that as a news segment a little bit just to... to yeah, rant. yeah. I feel like we should at least mention it. But, uh, uh, you know, you're right. Candy Crush has been around long enough. I didn't realize how long it had been around because my coworker was, you know, told me that she has it built into the Windows... Like the like the the pre built software and junkware that comes on a new computer. Oh, really? It was actually in there already. Press <laughs> right to the start menu, and I thought it was just like an iPhone game. That's anyway, pretty so I'm, funny. I'm old. I'm forty three, forty two, forty two. So you're I not like that much older than me. I'm I'm old. So <laughs> I think that's a perfect segue to the shipyard. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Which is yes. our segment where we talk about our art and the con schedule that we you're doing and I should be doing and <laughs> these things. Or that you're not doing not now. Doing. I don't think we actually mentioned on the last episode that uh, San Francisco Comic-Con is no longer happening for the Robot Kraken crew. It's no longer happening. I'm exactly. a little bit disappointed, I have to admit. I don't, I don't particularly feel like disparaging um, conventions on our podcast since it covers... You know, the entire world listens to this podcast. We have screw those hundreds guys. of thousands of listeners. Not our listeners. High-ranking celebrities. We have celebrities and sports heroes, political figures. We have, um, you know, African despots listen to our podcast. I mean, it's stunning. <laughs> uh, Mars Rovers listens to our podcast. They um, stream it, actually, from what I've heard. That's right. They, they stream <laughs> our podcast on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Remember in The Martian, all the work yeah, they do? They just now played our third episode. <laughs> <laughs> our whole podcast done through a series of uh, of SEMA 4 with tiles, you know. Yeah. So, um, they use but anyway, potatoes I, to power it. Well, sure. Mars I like to dis- potatoes. I like to disparage, I like to disparage Gen- GemCon um, because of the stories you told. And then I read recently that that was like a pretty huge con for its type right right i mean it's like a it's more of a thing that i give a credit <laughs> for anyway you know i'm disappointed yes that's right i'm not going to be at the con in my own backyard 
the first time San Francisco's had a comic convention in years, I was I signed up immediately after it was announced, right? right. Like one of the earliest signups. And I can't really blame them because my reading comprehension or my attention to detail was poor with all the other stuff competing for my time. But I I signed up. I got an invitation to attend and an Eventbrite thing, which I mm-hmm. thought was my was my reservation that I was going to have to then just process payment at some point, right? Um, so then when I went recently to go check on that and to see you know, what the status was, I come to figure out when I read the Eventbrite link that this is just now my opportunity to buy the table. Ah. And until you buy the table, you're not actually. <clears throat> but I right. thought because I signed up for it and I got the Eventbrite notice that says, here's your invitation, I thought that meant that I was in. Right. But, so I definitely think they could have phrased it differently. On the other hand, you know. Almost um, everything I've seen from that con in particular feels like a lot of the stuff that they're communicating seems to be communicated in a way that's difficult to understand. I think you might be right. Um, and I do believe it's the same crew that are doing uh, that Florida, the Orlando con and a few right. others. Um, you know, as you described, was fairly typical apparently in this industry. But, you know, you can't reach them. They right. don't have a phone number. They have a general mailbox. It's a real fly-by-night operation as far as the logistics side of it. So, yeah, you know, I had trouble a couple of days just trying to figure out who to contact to see what was going on. And then I did when I did go in, I saw that all the artist alley tables were booked, mm-hmm. which shocked me because, um, again, I thought I was on the ground floor of it. Right. Right. But there was there were still some exhibitor booths. So I said, OK, fine, I'll just get an exhibitor booth, of, you know, whatever. And then the next day they 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 canceled my my purchase, mm. refunded my money and sent me an email saying they only had four booths left and they're reserving them for vintage comic sellers. See, I think that's because, bullshit. Well, you know, it's I, I tend to devil's advocate, so maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I do understand that if the system is not designed to allow them to hold them in reserve and and tune the way the convention is balanced, I can see where they would run into these things and, and, and you know, maybe they are trying to fight the onslaught of cosplay sword sellers and knockoff print sellers and those things that we see like mm-hmm. we saw at, at Wizard World, you know. Um, you know, I I can't just I can't I can't fault them for wanting vintage comic sellers at a Comic Con. I mean that sounds right. great. You don't even have comic stores anymore. Right, absolutely. I, I was just disappointed that I didn't didn't register for the con I thought I registered for, and then I was booted once I actually followed the rules and registered. Right. But no, uh, maybe maybe I'll try it again next year. Maybe maybe I won't. This could be one of those ones where it's fraught with with uh, disaster once we find out how it was, and we may, on the other hand, be like Silicon Valley Con, where it turns out it was right. Apparently... Yeah, so, and the first year cons are always such a crapshoot in respect to that because it's. It's one of those things where I've heard a lot of just absolute horror stories about first-year shows, and I've gone to a couple of first-year shows that were horror shows, and then I've done a couple of them like Cheyenne that was really lucrative. I was surprised at how good it was. And I don't know. I think this is one of those cons, particularly with their weird union rules for onloading and offloading and all of that. I think it's one of those that'll be a good thing for us to hear back on from other artists and I will say, get some feedback. Yeah, this was going to be um, logistically very challenging for me because I was going to have to figure out how to put all of my crap in 
I was going to borrow a, one of those, you know, those backpacks for weekend for week long backpackers. You know, the kind right. where there's a frame and try to put all my crap in because they say you can come in one time, no dolly. That's it. If uh, one person, one trip, no dolly, or you pay the fees for the loading dock. So I was going to make it work. I had been, <laughs> I put a lot of thought into how I was going to do this. Um, when you have kids, you learn how to compress a lot of stuff into a compact space and be, <laughs> and, and do things like carrying seating and <laughs> right you know, <laughs> contingency emergency supplies and whatever else in, in small spaces. But anyway, um, so the only other drawback to it is that um, what what local what local fan base or support I have among friends and family would have been able to go to this con right. 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 And, uh, you know, uh, even some of our friends from Sacramento were talking about it. And I think, you know, that would have been nice to have been tabling in my hometown. Right. And yeah, be able to have some people wandering through that I would know. Um, on the other hand, like you say, first con, never know what's going to go wrong. And we still have two, two more that we get to do together. So, I'm yeah, you know, which is I'm, cool. I'm getting really excited about Rose City. I think that's uh, I have to figure out the logistics of how much uh, material I'm going to bring. And you know, cause I'm yeah. Gonna fly. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited about that as well. If I could get off my ass and get some more product made, it would be great. But even if that's the thing, man, you know, my production's been weak this quarter. But <laughs> even if I do nothing, I still have everything I had prepared for last fall, plus the original art. You know, right? It, it would be fine as is. I just want to have a little bit more. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Acceptable. What about you? What about you? Uh, pretty much. I I've spent like four days tightening up and redoing a bunch of button designs, which I wasn't thrilled about. But we decided we were going to start selling them in packages of like similar buttons as well right. as individually, because we have a lot of people that come in and they're like, "Oh, I want this and this and this and this," and they always buy like all the supernatural buttons except for one kind of thing right. because of the price structure. So we decided we were just going to do package deals on them and see how they do. But it's kind of involved me creating between two and four new buttons for each group of buttons that I did. Right. So I ended up almost doubling the number of buttons we did in three days. Wow. And a lot of that was just this little obsessive, like nitpicking the kerning and the, the setup and the, the text and all of that. And right. it just... Uh, I'm glad I'm done with it, but I was a miserable few days because it wasn't anything artistic per se. And, you know, it, it's fun the first 10 or 15, but when you get to number 83, you're like, I'm done with this. <laughs> well, just just physically producing buttons like I was doing with the when I borrowed the button maker mm -hmm. and made all those little promo right. third rail and R3 buttons and, and, and a few random ones. You know, it was interesting. And then after a while, you're like, wow, great. There's a lot of production, right. a lot of repetitive production, and it's very easy to screw up, do it wrong. Yeah, I haven't even started on that yet. This was just oh, literally the design stuff. We picked <laughs> up the prints today, and so yeah. we've been out in there punching them out in the with the cutter and the circles. And, yeah, we're going to start making buttons over the next couple of days, but it's just – it's nonstop. And the next con I'm doing is NaguCon and Helena, and – it What's is that? a anime convention, and my button, it's probably one of my biggest button cons of the year, so I've got to try and have these done in time. But and where is Helena? Which, which Helena? Helena, Montana. Montana, okay. Montana. It's the state capital, I think, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
No. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe. I'm from California. We don't. <laughs> we 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 memorized those in fourth grade, and that was it. Um, <clears throat> because you know the world, the United States is the coasts and Chicago, right? That's that's what the United States is to Californians. Or anyone on the Understandable. Coast. Yeah. So, uh, also, I did some art. I forgot to mention I did art. You did draw. I did. I did some drawings. You've seen some bits of the drawing. So, I actually put pencil to paper. I was just lamenting to you that I felt like my lack of production this year has equated to a further lack of practice because mm-hmm. I've already been too tight in time to practice properly and like I really should be doing. Right. Life studies and things. And, you know, here, not even just in terms of, of, of hand hours. I was short, and I felt like what I was doing was subpar. I'm really not happy with that last Spider-Man I did. I just don't. There's a hand that kills me, and I just. Eh. Anyway, the next day, I'm in meetings all day, and then I just sat down and started doodling the, the, um, the subject for the current TRDL art jam, which was you, you, created it last time, and it's right gender swapped supers, right? And so I started sketching. I decided to do Flash, right? So I'm doing a female Flash. Um, but not Speedy or whatever her name was right. from, you know, this is just a, a female adult flash. Anyway, I sketched it up and I looked at it and I realized what I did was I gave myself free reign to go the way I used to do a lot of my redesigns. I'd take the third rail re- approach to redesign. I could do it like I would design my own characters. Right. Um, and I think it came out great. <laughs> and I was so, and I did tight pencils, right? Mm-hmm. Which like a sharp pencil. And I did tight pencils instead of the looser, looser sort of fix it in inks kind of way right um and i'm so happy with it so that really (laughs) lit my fire right i was like well now i really want to do my drawing again because i felt like that worked out well so we'll see if i screw it up in colors but you know that's one thing that i've decided after this last like four or five days you and i talked a little bit about some plans i'm thinking about doing online and stuff yes and a lot of those i've tabled again um despite having dove into a few of them and i've just decided you know there's a few things that if i want to draw them i'm going to draw them but for the most part i need to laser focus what i'm working on because i've still got these books that are due i've got a certain series of art with the pinups and the the gentleman and like my little bat figure that are just languishing right now because I've been doing flask designs and buttons and just all of this production stuff that makes me money, but it doesn't do anything for me from a artistic, soul-fulfilling right. level. And right. we just, I decided last night, I, I before I went to bed, you know, I was like, from now on, I'm working on four things. And those four things are writing my certain series of art with Deeply Dapper that are kind of conformed to the new idea of the shop. I'm going to work on my little back characters and I'm going to work on designing a few enamel pins because I'm really excited about those and I think that'd be fun. But I've put pretty much everything else to the side unless it's something that I just like wake up one day and I'm like, I want to draw this instead. I'll do it because if I'm excited about something, I'll draw it. But I've just... That's exactly right. We, I've got to get back to drawing and writing, and it's hard sometimes to get into that groove. The balance is so important and yeah. so hard, especially when you feel like you're focused on the production. Right. right. And you, you feel like you got to get something done, and I think to some degree that even affects my lack of production on the Bots and Bugaboos project mm-hmm. that was supposed to be, you know, that was supposed to be a cut print exercise in putting <laughs> another book together. 
and it's proven already to have been more laborious than the entire art book that I did last year. Right. Because ninety percent of the art is not ready for it's not ready for production. I actually right. have to draw it or re ink it or do something to it in order to do the process on it that I want to do. They're not the art the, the source material is really rough. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes work and it becomes frustrating and it becomes limiting in terms of the time the time and place that I can work on it. Right. And and that time could have been better spent on something that that, you know, Excites inspires you. inspires yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. I should also mention that I did um I fixed my Wacom problem um and I was able to during a conference call this morning finish my Iron Fist that I started several months Which ago. That's really good. Oh, thanks. That was actually for a jam that we had in 2015, but I just finally <laughs> finishing it. Um, and it's a very different approach than the, the Flash one. The Flash mm-hmm. one was, um, you know, very light roughing, then tight pencils. And now I'm starting to ink it, and the kids are banging the table. I have to stop every second. I don't want to make the best <laughs> right. inks, right? And usually I just kind of ink, and they bash me, and it, and it gets messy, or it's late, and I can't see. And I'll fix it all in Photoshop. But now right. that... I'm starting to sell the art too, right? Or about the production quality on paper. So, anyway, this is the inverse, right? This was a very loose whiskey field rough that I decided <laughs> I really liked the the gestural quality of it. Mm-hmm. So then I I pencils I, I loose penciled it and then I digitally inked it all on the fly on on planes or in cafes or whatever <laughs> right during my business travel, always intoxicated or whatever. And so approach is very different. And result, I think I hope will be. You know, pretty similar. I like it. I like the way it turned out. Yeah, I do too. We have what? Uh, Robots Root coming up, right? Yeah. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. Yeah, we'll, we'll what do is root? a couple of little news segments in the Root. I What's think. Root? Root's where root. we talk about things that are happening, right? Stuff. Yeah, stuff and nonsense and stories. Well, you, <laughs> you brought up uh, Pokemon. So let's talk about that. Yeah, Pokemon Go. Uh, augmented reality app on people's phones that, as best I can tell, are causing all sorts of nonsense and craziness. And it looks really cool. I don't even want to know how many people are going to end up getting their phone bill and finding out how much data that thing's sucking down. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a ripple effect, but you know it's interesting. There's a lot of love and hate for that, right? There are people mm-hmm. who are excited about it, and then there are people who are outraged and pissed over it you know there's the cool people and then the geek people but it reminds me of the promise that was made you know 10 15 years ago about the future of vr and the future of augmented reality that we would be engaging in an entertainment way beyond Mm -hmm. the gibson-esque style where it's an information dump in your sunglasses right right This, this is more you know we were promised that we would have this sort of live interaction with you know, with the world through our, at the time it was always seemed to be goggles, but you know <laughs> that you know we would have this happen, and nothing ever really took off. And even Oculus and all the work they put into the VR yeah. stuff, which sounds amazing, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing, but you know there's a price point, there's a there's a there's a a prohibitive entry point for the, that technology right now. Well, right? and the problem too, whenever there's that kind of prohibitive entry point. There's less incentive for good developers to create something really special with it because there's less people owning it to buy your awesome new idea. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a lost leader until they figure out whether it's going to work. Right. Um, what I think is, I think Pokemon Go is brilliant. I'm not. I think it's a genius idea. Absolutely. I think I'm not particularly thrilled about it, but I'm. I think it's genius. I yeah. mean, this is a company that 
Pokemon stuff owned the 90s, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. it the 90s when I that was happening? I think so, yeah. And everyone had their and then, you know, their little Digipet type things mm-hmm. and then they had their their cards and all that. And then Nintendo Game Boys were just yeah. I mean, that was the thing with the Game Boys. And the drawings and the figures and this and this and then it finally faded. I mean, you still saw references to it here and there right. among the fans, but you know, in terms of mainstream culture, it it went it pretty much faded. Yeah. The company wasn't worth much. And then by this coming out of nowhere, like I didn't see anything about the production. Or I, yeah, I never even heard of it until it was just suddenly everywhere on everything. When you yawned just now while talking, you suddenly, in augmented reality, got the really <laughs> long sleeping cap. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I mean, you know, so so on the face of it, it sounded interesting, and I loaded it because a coworker was getting hyper about it, and so I said, "Okay, I'll try it." And you know, you, it makes you catch the first view of them in your wherever you are right mm-hmm. it just puts them there so they get you warmed up to the idea that you right. you have to use the map to find them and then when you find them you have to throw your little thingy do at them and then you catch them and they're in your in your inventory or whatever okay. and so i did it a few times and i thought this is really cool and then i saw oh so you go out i looked at the map and now i realized that down the street there was one and, and then <laughs> you know a little bit farther out there was one and then i said oh i see how this is nope yeah. and i just turned it off and and sure enough, you know, a few days later. Oh, and the other thing that irritated me was it's like, so what? My one more reason for my kids to get on my phone? I don't Absolutely. think so. And also, uh, every time I would try to access it just to, to check it out, their server would be down. Yeah, I've heard they've had like in. constant server problems. Yeah, the scaling on it. They just had no idea it was going to hit the way it did, and it just broke everything. Yeah, people so, that have never paid any attention to any games before just hooked on this thing. It's crazy. This is the second time in one year where a video game type thing has completely just taken over in enough of a mainstream way that you can't believe that it just like out of right. nowhere. I mean, I read about Overwatch, you know, the, the concept art and that this was coming. I read mm-hmm. about that on websites for a while and then among gamers and sort of nerd culture i guess overwatch just just steamrolled over everything when it came out right it was like all anyone could talk about but pokemon go i mean it's just like moms in 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 pocatello are right are about it right. right it's like it's in, it's like what happened with game of thrones that initially turned me off a little bit to it right like mm-hmm. all of a sudden everyone and your friend frank have a have an opinion or excitedly yeah right and you and you hear these stories about how you know it's being it's it's the ripple effect on culture, mm-hmm. uh, some of which I think is true and some of which I think is false. Like they've proven that some of them were hoaxes. I think a lot of the screen caps people are posting are hoax, you know, where they're like, oh, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah, they're just pasting it on. But on the other hand, some of it's true. Like uh, our friend Michael Calero posted that his his brother's friend got carjacked in Sacramento right. Park because he followed a Pokemon a Poke spot. We should was, point out that that was in Sacramento, so it was bound to happen. But well, sure, <laughs> it, there's no guarantee that the Pokemon thing was even related. Right? It could have been candy crushing, and then, <laughs> but uh, you know, and then and then there's also the story about how the guys figured out that they could lay the the trap, and they right. were lured. And then there's the thing about the Holocaust Museum and a few other um, really odd choices for where they're where they're landing. But you know, overall, though. Its impact on for the, the yeah for, for the time type of game it's just phenomenal the way it's just it's taken off and it's it's very 
intelligently designed. I'm very impressed with everything I've seen of it. I haven't played it or touched it or anything like that. I don't even have room on my phone to take a picture of my dog right now, let alone another game. But... This should be a country podcast all of a sudden. <laughs> I lost my memory. I had to I had to delete and and reload the memory or the the messenger program on here because I kept having your messages like appear and then disappear, and then I had to delete one of my other apps so that I could load Messenger and then once it was loaded, load the other app back on because I have such a like I don't know it's it's just a ghetto iPhone. It was you the free one. Phone. You looked at your phone to try to get an assessment of its memory capacity. I, I saw you it, do that. I think it has it on the back, doesn't it? Doesn't uh, it have it typed on the back? I don't know. It's too dark in this room. The other thing is, I don't know if uh, Uber is active where you live or if people even have use for it. We have since taxis. In an urban area. I think so, we have like three taxis in town. <laughs> but you understand the concept of Uber. I am aware of Uber, yes. You understand how it works. That yes. Peer to peer. And you like order it via app, and they give you yeah. a water bottle with roofies or something like that. Pretty much, yeah. So I was in, I was interested that people came right out and started trying to uh, start up do startups that were uh, Uber style for Pokemon Go. That they oh would say, really? I'll, for thirty bucks an hour, I'll just drive you around looking for Poke spots. That's pretty smart, actually. Right? Anyway, yeah. Um, the concern I have is that I'm already trying not to get killed by people in SUVs. chatting and texting and candy crushing and whatever while they're driving the last thing i need is people waving their phones around looking for virtual characters while i'm on my bike or precisely but you know anyway it's a thing it's a thing that's happening and very fast it is greetings standard nerds it's me chris if you enjoy robot kraken and want to tell us or have ideas for new topics and movies we should watch or if you've found an error we've made that you want to correct us on, reach out to Mechanical Tentacle and contact us. Visit robot-kraken.com, and in addition to all of the recent nerd news and links to the episodes, you can also find contact info for me and Tom, as well as links to all of our social media accounts. You can also email us at salty at robot-kraken.com. If you could take a brief moment of your time to subscribe and review us on iTunes, that would be amazing, too. Every review helps more people find the show. We'll read your email or review on the show, and you can help us appease the beast. Now back to Robot Kraken. It is. What else we got going on? Item. Ghostbusters. Item. Ghostbusters. What about Ghostbusters? It's a thing. It is. It's coming out tomorrow. All of these haters have been hating, and then As people like do. me, yeah, and people like me have been wanting it to succeed. Not in no small part due to the fact that there's so much uh, gender specific bias against it, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see this this uh, subversion of the original concept and this soft reboot. I wanted to see it work. I wanted right. to see them pull it off. The more people disparaged it without seeing it, and insisted that it couldn't be done, right. Um, so far, the the early critic response is that it's an imperfect but really, really funny movie. Okay. I've intentionally up. stayed away from all of the reviews because I didn't want anything spoiled. So here's what else that happens. <laughs> anyway, I hope I didn't spoil anything for you. To know that, to know that something is well-received, I hope yeah. doesn't... No, no, not at all. No, I, I... Yeah. The only things I know about that film are what the toys have ruined for me at Toys R Us or <laughs> we've seen in the Legos. But... Uh, 
you know, I just I'm optimistic to see it, and I'm just glad to see that the early because there's a lot of times these productions have bad press or a bad rep going in, and it's like it seems like they can't get they can't get out from under that. Right. He colors the critical reception and it colors the user perception. Some people we know would say that happened to BVS, right? What is BVS? Uh, Batman. Okay. <laughs> I was like that ecto ecto cooler is really doing its job. What is this BVS? Is that a brand of underpants? <laughs> I so that's the thing. Um, I have another item. What item. is your other item? Bum item. bum bum. There's this short film called Adam. And uh, it's on YouTube, and I, it, I, I posted it to Robot Dash Cracker. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Okay, so I'm the first person to admit that I don't watch videos that people send me. I don't have time, right? I can mm-hmm. listen to something, and I can read something in between all my other work. But I have a lot of trouble committing. When I see, the, you know, brilliant short film, nine minutes on Vimeo, I'm like, I can't right. do it. Right? Right. But I was in- intrigued because it had robots in it, and I want to say it was it – was, you know, it was great that I did see post it, so I thought I would try it. It's six minutes long. It's amazing. Right. Okay? And what it actually is, is it's a proof of concept for the Unity game engine, which they apparently, according to two sites that I read, they're giving it away for free as a development tool in for games, although really? I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't see how they'd monetize anything, but it is intended to be sort of an evolutionary step in real-time rendering for games. Right. <laughs> It looks so so it, it benefits from the fact that the designers doing the concept art for the game or the, for this short did it. They're just like right up in my brain. It's like that perfect <laughs> uh, Masamuni Shiro meets mm-hmm. I don't know what. Right. Right. Like on. District nine or something like it's just so the it's so perfectly realized. And when you watch it, you'll understand why I love it so much. Okay? Yeah, it's definitely on my queue. You you posted that and you posted the Sam Jackson recap of Game of Thrones. And oh, yes. so I, I leaned towards Sam Jackson first because I knew I had time to – well, I thought I had time to watch it before we started recording. But <laughs> I, And that was amazing too. It was excellent, yes. Oh, yeah. Like that was the better version of Game of Thrones than Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. Put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah. um, but but anyway, this Adam short, six minutes long, and then when you when you get to the end of it, and, as I did, and then you discover that it's that it's really just a demo for an engine that was doing that real time. You're like, wow, that's amazing. That's cool. Um, the the design works fantastic. The atmosphere is great, and what it does, and what the reason I wanted to bring it up is, it instantly answered so many of my complaints about things that we've talked about on this podcast. Right. For example, they design a better Ronin. Mm-hmm. Than Ronan from Guardians of the Galaxy. They nice. design a better Apocalypse than Apocalypse from X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> they, they design a better everything than the modern, than what we see distilled into the movies that we watch between a combination of the way the effects look and the design mm-hmm. work that went into it. It just wipes the floor with most of what we've seen on film. I just could not That's believe really how cool. slick it looks and how the designs look so good. Yeah, the the, right? the one screenshot you posted over on Robot Dash Crack and your source for all nerd news is really excellent. It looks really freaking cool. And that's the guy I say that is half Ronin and half Apocalypse, and yeah. is better than, yeah, at both, right? Than anything. Yeah, but there's other totally. stuff too. I mean, when you watch it, there's so many little de- the nuance in it. It is definitely an earphones and get it on your screen and just kind of absorb it thing. Right and there's on. no there there. There's no plot. I mean, there's you know, it's all little, just pretty, but it is rad. Okay. <laughs> and then finally, nice. I had an item about um, 
there is an article that's making its way around uh, about, I don't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal or whoever it was, Washington Post that originally started it, but they're talking about how they picked up on the fact that comic sales had their best month in two decades, hmm. or approximately best month in two decades. Interesting. And what I found neat about that, first of all, it's reassuring because we're we're always being told that the print comic industry is is dying and is being right. absorbed. The young people's interest in video games and movies and other things and Pokemon Go. Um, so that's reassuring. But also, I was just struck in a sort of a fourth wall way by the fact that an article was in mainstream outlets talking about the sales successful of sales books. of comics. Yeah. And, hmm. not in, and not in a speculative market period like it was back in the day. In the 90s, mainstream wrote articles. There were articles written about the comic industry because it was this huge speculative thing and everyone was right. going crazy. Right, right. This, this, there's no real, there's no good reason for it, Right. The re- yeah, there's the, not that titillating, ooh, it sold for so much money because of the Chromium variant cover. Right. And, and yeah. every, every major vendor has a reboot happening right now that's underwhelming and convoluted. <laughs> and right. Everyone has tie-ins to films that are not very well tied in, that, that, are, that are late. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's not even like it was perfectly executed in bringing people to comic stores because they liked what they saw in the film as they used to try... Remember when Morris, when uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely put the X Men in black uh, leather uniforms <laughs> because it was supposed to appeal to people who saw the movies and want to get into comics? It just happened to be awesome, also. But you know, it's not even that happening really, as far as I can tell. And yet, here, here, Hold here's on. the error, error, error. I lost my headphone for a minute there. Ah. <laughs> My anyway, gut grabbed it. <laughs> so anyway, it's just neat to see the mainstream is picking up on something that's already good news. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Standard nerd uh, component of it. Do you have any other news? You know, I don't. I I have literally gotten all of my news this week from Robot Dash Kraken because I haven't sure. had time to go anywhere else. So. <laughs> That's entirely reasonable. Well, it is my home page. So. It, it, yeah, it better be. Okay. <laughs> Although your your uh, your your uh, your Squarespace for hosting the yes. downloads consistently ranks four sites ahead of us, Robot Dash Kraken itself in Google rankings, no matter what. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's pulling SEO from all the other things that site's doing. Could I don't be. know what. But uh, anyway, that's fine. It all all roads lead to yes. It all comes so back we, to it. So, do you want to get to the main event? Yeah, what are, we, what, what are we talking about here? All right, so, review time. Seems to me you fellas could stand a little less training from the FBI and a little more from the actor's studio. Apparently, the only performance that will satisfy you is when I play dead. In your very next role, you'll be quite convincing, I assure you. Do you I think don't... we should do a... Should we do our sweet, sweet review? Yeah, let's review. review what, Chris, would, what would we like to talk about? Chris, we're going to talk about X-Men. And here's my I have a question. Did you like this movie? I enjoyed this movie. Did you? As a reader of 90s X-Men comics, I enjoyed this oh. movie. Uh, okay. So, but it was set in the 80s, right? Well, yeah, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what was it about? It was about a old mutant 
named Apocalypse, (laughs) 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 who was brought back to life by Sun and cultists, and randomly chose four mutants to be his horsemen of the apocalypse despite the fact that they weren't necessarily the wisest or most intelligent choices to be his horsemen not even remotely the most powerful yeah um he's just like you you four are aesthetically pleasing come along with me (laughs) yeah then he he went after all of mutant kind and humankind and and they were like Mystique is popular. It's so hot right now. Let's let's use her a lot, and come up with excuses for her to not be blue. But we'll give right. you other blue characters, so it's okay because there are a lot of blue characters in the X Men, and they're all in this movie. So it's all right. Sure. You get plenty. You'll you will you'll have plenty of chances to blue yourself. Um, and <sighs> Jubilee was barely in it. There was, there was no a lot of Kitty Pride. A lot of magnetism. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of weird computer-generated ring things going on. So here's my problem. I think I would have liked it. But I don't know because I fell asleep. <laughs> and what's weird about that, and so what's sobering about it is that's a, that's a huge criticism for a fanboy like me to fall asleep in an X-Men movie, right? That means this, there's something seriously wrong. Well, yes and no. You also have an obscenely busy lifestyle and out outside work kids art kids kids work art house but i don't fall, <laughs> i don't fall asleep in all the other movies and even when although i although to be fair this isn't the first movie that we've reviewed that you haven't fully watched <laughs> uh nonsense <laughs> but no but see that's for a different reason that's what i was going to say it's i mean when i when i'm you know halfway halfway to passing out one-eyed viewing is one thing so overly what, overly whiskeyed, but it wasn't that. It was I saw a midnight show and I was very tired. And it was a what day. didn't you like about it? Uh, that's a really good question. So I think this should be just a pretty random discussion. Yeah, really yeah. Honestly, good. we're we're reviewing this late enough now that if you haven't seen it, you're probably going to watch it on DVD or something anyway. Yeah. Um, there'll probably be spoilers, spoilers. A, but realistically, if you've read any like Jim Lee comics from the 90s X-Men series, you'll know what ha- happened in this. So, okay. So, I mean, most of my difficulty was actually in the imagery more than it was the story because, again, I fell asleep through a chunk of the story. Right. Uh, I I fell asleep. He was gathering... He was gathering his people or maybe... I don't know. I guess he was gathering his... Gosh, I don't even know. I don't know when I fell asleep, but I woke up in the middle end of the of the big battle that everyone's flying around and <laughs> buses are being cut. So I, you watched like, like 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it is another movie I'm looking forward to watching on Blu-ray to see what happens. I still haven't gotten... I finally saw Age of Ultron again, right? And I was like, oh. Right. And then it doesn't make any more sense. And no, it doesn't I haven't at all. To see, I haven't watched Rogue Nation again to see if that made sense. Or but, the rest but, of Hell Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> 17 minutes of Hell, Hell Caesar could not... Somehow I could not beat my wife's version. So anyway, uh, so, you know, so James McAvoy. So first of all, to be fair, I read X-Men at the same time you did um, and earlier as well. But I wasn't a super fan. Because you're much older than me. I am. I'm I'm 
10. But, uh, you know, I wasn't a super fan of what we saw in the very in the late 80s, right? And okay. the 90s. That's not my period. In fact, the 90s are when I dropped out of comics for a while, largely because of what was happening on X-Men. But, Which is kind of when I got into comics. Yeah, you and your pouches. So I mean, we're wear two pouches very now. different right. comic era readers. And so I was curious to see what your take was on this. Because, like, the first comic I picked up was X-Men 268 with... That flashback to the 1940s with Black Widow, Wolverine, okay. and Captain America. And that was like, oh my god, what's this? I need more. Yeah, and sure. so for me, X-Men Apocalypse was totally a love letter to that era of comic books. Not just in the artistry and the imagery, but in the storytelling. <laughs> I get that. And, you know, to be fair, you know, I read... So, Paul Smith... And Chris Claremont doing uh, up until so towards the end of that. What's that? Paul Smith is so good. Yeah. And when so when he was drawing Chris Claremont scripts, that was that was sort of the high point for me. And I had started with that. Right. 170, 173 famously. And then I went backwards mm -hmm. right into the Cockrum stuff and then forwards, obviously, into where John Romita Jr. is drawing it. And then eventually it's Jim Lee and all that stuff. OK, right. so, yeah, they really lost me with Australia and the Siege Perilous and. And, Psylocke becoming, yeah. uh, you know, martial artist, skimpy Asian <laughs> person, and you know yeah, that's all that's never and, been completely explained. <laughs> no, and, and, you know all the stuff that was all the image, quite literally image focused stuff that was happening is what threw me off. But I was definitely reading at a time when the apocalypse storyline was happening, and the original one, right? And the idea of the mega the mega character being something even larger than what they dealt with with Magneto, mm -hmm. you know? Or and Mag that was the, the biggest problem with this, is that they felt the need to continually up the the stakes for it. You never bought... I didn't... I mean, I missed a chunk, right? But I never <laughs> really bought uh, Apocalypse's scheme. Like, I never got the there there. I, I didn't really understand what it was. I genuinely have no idea what it was he was trying to do. I could like, not tell you. <laughs> Having watched I, the entire movie, I still couldn't tell you. I fell asleep and I woke up and I felt like I was still watching. And I told my buddy that I saw it. I felt like I was watching this, like I come in and out of the same epic role playing session, mm -hmm. right? Like there's no, who knows what the story is, but they're still fighting and right. they're still somehow going at it. And that the purpose <laughs> of it was to fight. Right. And I know there was more to it than that, but that was my takeaway that, again, like some of the other uh, X Men films a tighter script a more linear script with stakes that made sense would have made the, the storytelling more interesting to me now that said i didn't hate how they how they framed it i did not hate their version of apocalypse in the in the past mm -hmm. i don't you know why we have the spacey stuff you know the floating prism of and all the 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 flowy circuits that go up to him as he's levitating and why all of his all of his his uh, his his people back in back then were all, you know, decked out. <laughs> all that stuff didn't make sense, but I liked the way it looked. <laughs> I bought it in the context of the film. Right. It's buried by the thing. Okay, I'll take it. And then he's unearthed and starts over. Okay, I right. take that too. They could have explained why he has this. This he's compelled to have horsemen. Mm -hmm. They could have they could have explained what his end game was better, but. Up until that point, I was fine with it. And I was right. even fine with the way the characters were being drawn at the school mm -hmm. at, the, at the beginning of the film, the sort of you know new, newer students and some of the different 
uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, because a lot of uh, I mean, as a longtime X Men reader, you know that the uh, the core of X Men stories is the is the soap opera of boarding school life, right? With with mutants in the school, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that aspect of it was was very comfortable, and I liked it. it was probably maybe the best that the home life of the Xavier school has looked on film. Like it just yeah, felt yeah, I the, think so. it's like the comics, right? Yeah. It didn't feel as first as the earlier singer ones, but then it, and then, you know, I really loved, uh, first class and I really liked mm-hmm. it as a future past, but yes, they were more forced in certain things. Yeah. This they never had the felt, vibe of the Xavier school for gifted youngsters at all. Right. Right. They were very different. Yeah. Um, so when it gets to the modern era, apocalypse, the design it mm-hmm. never, it never really got that much better than the early stuff that we saw. That we were like, <laughs> not what really, the hell? unfortunately. It was still better. It was better than it could have. I mean, it was better than it could have gone. Like mm-hmm. you still saw enough Isaacs in him in in motion to appreciate some nuance in his expressions and how he did it. Right. Um, and there was some mass stuff that seemed a little bit different. And you know, I'm no, I, I don't hate when a mega character isn't super muscular. That's fine right. too. Yeah. That's not and necessary, still, but you know, the, 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 the cyber dreads and whatever the hoses and things, <laughs> and right. some of the decisions they made, I'm still not a hundred percent, especially given some of the concept art we've seen where there were images, there were, there were versions of apocalypse that looked a lot more, um, linked to comics continuity yeah. in a way that, which I thought interesting because usually when I think of apocalypse, I think of one of the really terrible, X-Men megavillains are really badly designed, right? They really Mr. are. Mr. I mean, they're... Yeah. Yeah, most of the X-Men villains, when you look at their their essential basics, they require a radical redesign to be, like, not ludicrous in person. But yeah. any kind of radical redesign immediately starts up the nerd backlash. It does. But the comic apocalypse of the giant A, the blue and silver... <laughs> The lip line. I just, you know, when we did the the jam, the TRDL art jam, right? Of a you know of Apocalypse and uh, and I and I did a version. I did my own version of Apocalypse in that. I haven't I haven't released it yet, but I did a redesign. Mm-hmm. And I was I was reminded. I saw in my mind's eye there were a lot of ways that I that I could have approached a comics or film centric version of the character that would be little tweaks that would make it a lot better for me. Right. But I ended up going in a in a wackadoo's you know, the TRDL style, right? All <laughs> way off the back. Doesn't look anything like the film. But anyway, they could have done a lot of things to emphasize the concept of the weird lip line mm-hmm. and lip and jaw laser thing that he has. Um, and it would have been more effective. But I don't think they did a terrible job with it, personally. I, I did find it kind of distracting, but I thought that... They they made a somewhat intelligent compromise between his design and him being able to emote a little bit. Yes. Um, because almost anything else they could have done that would have been creative and interesting would have cut off his ability to have any kind of facial expression, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And it would just would have been the, musc- the muscular sort of the latex bodysuit of, yeah. of, of, of super muscles. And, yeah. 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 Uh, um, so the the horseman. Okay, so in the comics we have had over the years any number of combinations that make no sense. Right. right. They go through and they, it's it's never more than today in my mind. Right. That they just it's like you're you're randomly generating teams to in again to do a role playing session. Right. Like <laughs> in the last three or four or five years, and again I'm three years behind on my reading, but 
you know, they just are randomly kludging characters from different teams together right. and saying, there you go. Uh, that's kind of how that's kind of how this felt to me. The X-Men, I was okay with the idea that the X-Men themselves would be this weird combination of the different versions of sort of the different eras of X-Men all over right. the time. Right, yeah. But his choice for Horseman didn't even make – didn't make narrative sense. They didn't – it didn't at all. Like, Why were like, these the people he chose? There was some sort of vague sense in him walking out where he did and finding Storm. That that at least right. had some logic behind it. But then it was like, oh, let's go here. Oh, let's go here. And oh, I know another yeah. guy. <laughs> I then mean, it, it was became, just so ridiculous. Right. At the at the storm thing, I'm, I'm I was thinking that was that was consistent with story. He's mm-hmm. finding, it's the first mutants he discovers, and he's and he's blessing them. He's right. Super power. He's super magnifying them. Like, right. Okay, you're my first one, and here she is. Slum thief is now, you know, a demigod. Right. Okay. But then all of a sudden, because they got to amp up the 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 cool factor on Psylocke. Well, all mm-hmm. of a sudden now he's, you know, now he's targeting her. Right. Why and, was she hanging out there with Caliban in the first place? I didn't, yeah, it didn't like explain sort of it at all. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is, this is my bodyguard. I make her dress in this sexy leotard for absolutely no reason. <laughs> I did like that. I did like the Caliban. I, I liked the Caliban. I, I think I they the should have kept it. Caliban as one of the horsemen like he was in the comics. Well, and then going back to my my days, Caliban was a Morlock in the tunnels and was right. Haunt, right. It was later that they built him up into something more, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Complex. Yeah, I like so. I like that character a lot. And you know, Psylocke looks good. I liked the way she looked in it, and I think Storm is the best Storm I've ever seen. I think she was amazing. I but... think that she was the, the best film Storm we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is not saying much cuz we <laughs> No, it's really it. not. But, uh, you know, I still want a Storm that is, you know, I still can't get over, you know, Angela Bassett as Storm. Would the have goddess been the pinnacle. Storm. Yeah. yeah, right. I wanted that the deeply just. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, the designs, though, were very muted. And that I really had a lot of problem with the fact that they did. They weren't iconic in their look. So right. Archangel was the weirdest mishmash. He looked more like one of the Silverhawks from the 80s than he did. Yeah. He didn't even look like Archangel from the comics. Even Archangel from the comics would have been would have been visually striking. It made absolutely no sense. And I you basically have to assume that it's a different angel than the previous angels sure. and that he just happens to have the same name in it. But yeah, he looked nothing like Archangel. He didn't look like Angel, and his logic for his wings suddenly becoming what they were was just re- oh, he got it caught on an electric cage. Oh, that he'll never fly again. And <laughs> yeah, nothing about it made sense. And it was yeah. I mean just and again, it doesn't have to relate to the comics or anything else, but it has to be interesting, right? And he went from mullet to mohawk, right? And got half silver. Got some makeup. Weird, yeah, weird lines on his head for some stupid reason. It was just what a hot mess. It looked like to me. I hate to disparage the design work of others, but it just looks so like a first con- a first round concept design yeah. that would be a band so they refine it into something more more striking, right? Yeah, without question. Psylocke was yes, very well realized. Probably, I mean. I think that was a really hard costume to pull off. And yeah, and for the that, the seven minutes of screen time she had, she she was really excellent. In it. I'm surprised at how little that they used her compared yeah, to all the hype yeah. for her. And I really and I was a fan, I was a fan of Olivia Munn. I wanted to see her really own this, and I think 
you you look at all those videos of her training, and she was really roaring to go. Right. And she got a lot less to do on film than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as that costume, I mean, I've railed against the Psylocke costumes. Well, mm-hmm. some iterations of Psylocke's costume, just like Elektra, as the and and Emma Frost, right, as the right. impossible to visualize in real life because they defy physics and they don't even make sense. Okay. Well, they found a way to make Psylocke's costume look like comic Psylocke, but not also be entirely ridiculous. Right. The only thing that I found distracting about it, I thought they did a good job. The only thing that I found distracting was in, instead of having bands, extra bands, you know, like the extra strap the higher up on the thigh or the arm or whatever, they made them cutouts kind of. And then yeah. they used nude material in there. Yeah, that looked so really odd. So you wouldn't have the crimp of the you wouldn't have the crimp of the fabric acting weird intention on the skin as, as, as the muscle moved, right? right? So they covered to make fake skin and they didn't even CGI that out. Like it just, it was distracting because it seemed like weird. It reminded me of like Project Runway last minute change <laughs> right. fix a problem kind of thing, right? But otherwise, in, in like imagery, and the other thing though is, you know, gra- visually she looks really neat. I like her in... in you know, and she's acting and yeah. moving around. I like her doing all of her stuff. But even what was awkward about it is, back in the in the uh, Attack of the Show days, she knew how to look uh, aggressive or to look sexy mm-hmm. in her various cosplay moments on that show. Okay, she had a stand. She knew how to present herself, and yet all of the marketing material for this film, she looks she's so awkward. In, she looks at, she's standing in really awkward poses, yeah. and she just looks weird. And I couldn't help but wonder, it's like, could Brian Singer just get the hell out of the way? Yeah, I don't know. Look, she naturally would look. So I don't know. Yeah, particularly something, something the different. promotional stuff. And I don't know if that was a fault of the photographer that they used for the promotional things or what. But she came off as looking incredibly awkward in almost every photo. Well, and it's like I told my buddy afterwards, I said, you know, any film that can 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 undermine their own use of Olivia Munn as a as Psylocke <laughs> right. has got problems, right? Right. And then, you know, Magneto. So he, I, you know, I love I love him as an actor, and mm-hmm. and I didn't entirely hate his design, but again, it was a reminder that they were, there was too many iterations of design happening over the films. His costume is getting more and more and more complex. Right. There's a lot lines and plating and details and stuff that <laughs> it, it got to the point where you start asking yourself, like, who did that? Like, why yeah. would Apocalypse's scary mutant magic make his costume so complicated? Like, why was that even happening? Although his scene where they wanted to re, you know, like they've done, they've done the the um, they've done the Holocaust a couple of times mm-hmm. now. They can't go back to that well, so they kept it a much more um, intimate scale and had his family get. Uh, taken out but that whole scene was really it was really really good yeah that part was his acting in that scene was just so super powerful and the violence in it was really surprising to me and i i really liked it yeah yeah i thought that was excellent and they're done when he finally gives in (laughs) it reminded me a lot that whole thing with him that arc really reminded me of uh the film uh, Legends of the Fall, hmm. where you know in the middle in the second act, Brad I haven't Pitt seen has, that. Oh, you haven't? Well, I think I saw it like 
like when it came out on VHS when I was in like junior high or something like that. I see. Well, there was a love triangle, <laughs> and then Brad Pitt and his brother were 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 in love with the same woman, Julie Armand's character, and then there was a, a period where Brad Pitt's character decided to like he he. he you know, it was like, oh, it's painful. You can't do it, whatever. And so he married and he actually fell in love with and married a Native American woman and was attempting to have a normal life. And then he's ambushed by uh, some thugs and they end up opening fire and they kill her. Hmm. You know, it's a classic thing on film we see so often, right? The, right. the love interest gets killed unnecessarily. And then the, the usually male protagonist is like, no, you know, and goes crazy. <laughs> right. But it had that sort of urge, the way that felt when I was younger and saw Legends of the Fall, right? Mm -hmm. When you when you see stuff like that and you're like, you know, the inhumanity. <laughs> so, I don't know. I thought it was very effective. It was yeah, probably the most effective scene in this movie to me. Mm. Oh, easily. And, you know, the thing is, is it was probably the most singer scene in the movie, too. It right. felt the most like he was like these are my fingerprints and I'm going to make this part of it not be a Singer X-Men movie but just a Brian Singer movie because a lot of his other stuff like his X-Men movies feel like X-Men Brian Singer movies right I yeah agree. that was about the only time I liked Magneto Magneto in that movie because he just had nothing to do the rest of the time he was he more was of a machine he was and it was really hard to imagine him I know that uh Magneto was sort of like uh, it's sort of like Hive in the Agents of Shield show, which you haven't watched. But he sort of <laughs> his his magical mutant powers make his horsemen just buy his shit. Right. But it was really hard to imagine a personality um, like Lencher mm -hmm. being second fiddle to. Yeah, even uh, particularly where Apocalypse's motives were so unclear and vague as to what exactly he was doing. And maybe I just missed it, but it, I got the impression that he was basically just killing everything and unmaking the world. It wasn't that he was saving the mutants or giving the mutants the things that Magneto has always fought for. So it just seemed really... It was like a terraforming thing, right? Like yeah. He was start over. Well, and that's the thing. I kept expecting Magneto to betray Apocalypse right. and try to take over. That's the Magneto that I was looking for. It's the one that's been broken by that... His last yeah. game back in. Well, I'm going to, you know. So Did he just sit there and dinked good. around and made pretty yeah. swirly spirographs out of cities? and <laughs> Well, but again with the choreography. So Psylocke coming down with that, that thing where she – that I slept through, but I've seen in the previews, right? Where she flippy flips. She magically slices a car in half, defying all odds of, of every possible odd of physics, uh, and then lands. Right. right. There's – that scene could have been filmed. The James Wan version of that would have been rad, right? Or the Justin <laughs> right. Lin version would have been rad. But it felt really awkward. She was hurtling through through the air on on wires, and it didn't even it didn't make feel like it had her. Right, it didn't even have momentum to it, right? Yeah. Well, the same thing with Magneto. He's there was a scene when I woke up. He did the thing <laughs> that I had seen in the previews that I hated. He kind of he went. You have to imagine what I'm doing if you're listening. But he kinda, he went he went yeah, and he. <laughs> flailed his arms outward and created a mag magnetic blast of whatever that took out a bunch of iron or whatever it was. Right. It was but it wasn't even like a forceful, like, slam the hand or do a thing. Splash page. Right. You know, what Jim Lee would have drawn if they're so obsessed with Jim Lee. He kind of went, ugh! And then, and then <laughs> things fell over, right? It just did not even work for me. Yeah. I did like 
the whole thing with Moira McTaggart. I bought the whole yes. thing. It, it was very painful for Xavier yeah. to... Yeah. Right? Yeah, that was probably the most emotional scene of the movie without question. It was... It almost felt out of place. It was so emotional. There was, like, that scene and the scene with Magneto and his family, and the two parts were really good, and there was a lot of emotion, and it was filmed really well, and they were just, like, bam, at either end of the movie, and there was just this big, nonsensical, crazy 90s action scenes in between. Have you ever seen someone make a uh, crepe? A really uh, large disc, mm-hmm. hot plate disc, and it's and then they spread the thing out, and I think it spins. They can rotate it, mm-hmm. and they and they it gets out really flat, and that then they can round drop bottom stuff thing. in. Yeah, yeah, and they can drop stuff in. This movie felt like a crepe of action of nonsensical role playing <laughs> game combat, and then there's these drips of plot flavor <laughs> flavor <laughs> here and there, you know, and then as it spins, they kind of swirl, you know. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I like I mean, Mark, Rose Byrne, right? So right, she's amazing. Did not suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, my problem with this movie is that I enjoyed it because I turned my brain off and just went right. in to enjoy the big pretty colors of it. And it wasn't until after we got out of the movie and I started thinking about it that I'm like, I can't even actually tell you parts of this plot. I genuinely don't know parts of that, <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed it. I I still walked out of it being like that was fun, man. It was a it was a '90s comic book brought to life. And if you like those comics and you grew up reading them, you enjoyed the movie because you're used to not like oh well that plot didn't make any sense. Oh, but it's okay because it's a Jim Lee comic, so whatever. It felt like it, it felt like TMNT two seems to be where. It's yeah. like give them what they want. Yeah. Here's a live action version that looks a lot like the comics. Right. Right? Isn't that what TMNT two seems From to be? From what I've heard, like, yeah. I haven't seen yeah. it, but every review and stuff I've seen of it, that's basically Did it already what come they've out? said. I yeah. think so. They yeah. they were painted on the on the, the theater that I was going to on their windows and they weren't this last time we went, so I'm assuming that's that so it's cool. not out anymore. The, so quaint, uh, they, were, they were so terrible too. They, oh, they they were, <laughs> well, so yeah, I mean, going back to what you're saying about you know liking the nostalgia of what you're seeing and it being so consistent in in some ways with what you remember as a kid liking about X Men, right? right? Um, again, it's one of these movies where the potential is missed, so you go, Ugh, but you know, right. at least at least it looks and smells like an X-Men movie, which is how I felt about Days of Future Past, which had a lot of problems. Yeah. But at least I felt like I was watching an X for one of the first times. I was like, well, this actually feels I love first class. Right. But it didn't feel like an X-Men movie. It felt like a subversion of it to make a much more interesting thing happen. Yeah, it's very true. Days of Future Past really did just sort of start to look a little X-Men-y. Mm-hmm. This this especially did. It just didn't have any there there, I guess. Right. Um uh, but yeah, the 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 Martyr McTaggart stuff was great, and then um, I thought that they did a good job of trying to explain why characters didn't seem to know who each other were or what some of the references were. I don't fully, I admit that maybe it's my sleep problem, <laughs> but I don't fully understand how Weapon X era Wolverine came into it. Was this his first appearance? Did they was... him from Weapon X, and he was going to town with the stupid? Did you miss that scene? No, I saw it vaguely. I remember that he looked like Barry Windsor Smith's design. He had yes. phone cords and stuff hanging off right. of his helmet and all that shit. Yeah, prior to the 80s, Wolverine had bone claws in this well, continuity. 
in this continuity. Yeah, yeah, it was in like the the eighties that Weapon X abducted him for their program, put him under, gave him the adamantium and all that shit. And so that scene is when he was broke out of Weapon X inadvertently, kind of thing. So, but I mean, it's quite literally the comics version, the 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 late eighties. Weapon X, oh, whatever yeah. it was, eighties. Weapon X story that Barry Windsor Smith drew. Yes, where we see Weapon X for the first time, or we see the program, mm-hmm. and we see him with the stupid stuff all over him. Right, and he's feral, and he's going to town. Okay, so they pulled that right out. Yeah, yeah. Because even in Days of Future Past, right? Didn't they have that part of the storyline where all of a sudden he had his claws I think were different? So. Yeah, yeah. And then in the and then in the stinger, he had different claws or right. some sort of. Anyway. It, it, okay, that's fine. I felt it was like kind of fan baiting, but okay, it's fine. It was. It was a completely unnecessary cameo, honestly. Like there was no reason they couldn't have come up with some solution themselves using their power working as a team and it would have been a really interesting scene. I enjoyed it because I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and sure, yeah. it was a fun little nod and I liked his interaction with Gene right at the end of the scene. Right. I thought that was really good, but yeah, it was entirely just a fan Thing. Well, and also it was the only time we've we've ever seen Hugh Jackman's Wolverine not in control. Right. Like, not just not, I don't mean berserker rage, but I mean not being cool. Yeah. Like, he really was an animal. He was just an animal, yeah. And, th- and that was neat to see. Um, uh, so, Evan Peters... Mm-hmm. As uh, Quicksilver, so they had to uh, they had to one up the last one, right? Which was an amazing scene in the last movie. It amazing. was. It yes. was the money scene of the movie, and so this time they had to up it. And so this time it was what the explosion, and mm-hmm. he was trying to get everybody out of the building. They did a fantastic job. It was really good. It it felt a little longer than it needed to be, right. but it was enjoyable as hell. They they pushed. What I liked about this one was that it wasn't everyone – it wasn't so contained that everyone was perfectly still and he's walking around tweaking them. Right. In this one, there was still momentum. So you were seeing people slowly getting closer to the ground. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I liked that there was right. a progression of time. It was just massively slow. I thought that was interesting. So let's talk about the new classic X-Men. New classic X-Men. Because now in this in this film right. continuity, which is different than the other continuities, we now have our sort of original X Men, but now they're the young now they're the new mutants. Right. right. Which is which is random. It uh, is. <laughs> from a casting from a casting standpoint, I thought it was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Sophie Turner did a good job as Jean Grey. She did. I honestly, my largest complaint about her was that they kept her hair pulled back into that strict ponytail through most of the yeah. the, the show, and yeah. she looked more like Jean when she didn't have it pulled back as tight. I agree with you there, um, and also. Uh, I think she, more than a lot of characters, was really hampered by their efforts to shoehorn eighties, eighties fashion mm-hmm. as yeah. a as a as a prop because she looked really bad. Yeah, she, she record hunting or whatever, and she's right. in double denim or whatever it was. <laughs> Although I did like hard the to make sandwiched in mall scene. I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah. But I mean, I was I went in very skeptical that she was going to pull this off because she's got such a Game of Thrones thing going on, and right. you know, you're going to be hyper focused on her accent and all this. But um, I quite liked her in the role. Yeah, I, yeah, was, me too. I wanted to see more of her, and, and I appreciated that they did a 
much more nuanced nod to Phoenix Force. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. It it, it gave me hope that maybe they would do another film that was the Phoenix storyline and actually give it the the weight that it really deserved. That would be amazing if that was the next one they did. I would be 100% okay with that. I mean, I I liked Famke Mm -hmm. in the original X-Men movies. And I thought she looked great, and she was a great gene for that story and that kind of gene. But those being older characters, right, didn't have it didn't resonate the same way as a teenage gene losing control feels. Absolutely, the whole idea of mutants being a cipher for different ethnicities, mm-hmm. civil rights issues, and everything else, and also teenage puberty outsider and, puberty yeah. outsider feeling feeling judged, feeling out of control, Absolutely. not being able. So, you know, Gene needs to be a teen Gene to me. And right. this worked well. Um, uh, what's his name? Ty Sheridan as Cyclops. Okay, this guy looked like a dope. And I didn't <laughs> like him in the previews. And then I begrudgingly began to accept him in the film just because mm-hmm. the more he talked and acted, I was like, okay, fine. I'll you know, Cyclops it. has always been a, like a really milk toast character to me anyway he's he's always been my brother's favorite and it's been totally inexplicable to me i don't understand why cyclops is his favorite character because he's always the straight guy and yeah he's never been interesting to me i have no idea what gene gray's seen in him that kind of thing and so for that i think he was pretty well cast in Well, they did a, a good job of selling that there would be a connection between him and Gene the way they they did that with mm-hmm. the limited sensory input and all that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was um, interesting. I, I agree that Cyclops, in a way, I mean, X-Men have often had this problem and other co- comics have too. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the Kitty Pride problem, except we're pro Kitty Pride. So right. we don't acknowledge it as much. But C- Kitty Pride was a narrative cipher, right? Yeah, but Kitty She's, Pride was always the character that you saw things through. But Whereas what I'm saying is, they never did that with Cyclops. He was always the really noble, uptight guy that knew what but was Cyclops going on. was the cipher for the Claremont, and especially in Claremont's era, Cyclops was the cipher for this is my this is my altruistic guy. This is my not Superman, but this is my guy that is just unwaveringly loyal and responsible and earnest. Yeah. And and just perfect dude. Perfect yeah, I see boyfriend. That. And and then, you know, a lot of the con- continuity, you know, sort of post-90s, post-90s, because that was just garbage. I'm sorry, buddy. But <laughs> when they actually started writing the comics again mm-hmm. in the aughts, they did a lot of work focusing on deconstructing Cyclops because mm-hmm. you can't be that perfect pretty boy forever. It doesn't work. And in fact, he has they, they introduced more and more failure failings in him and vulnerabilities in his yeah. character. I just as that they did made with him more interesting to me. I don't. That didn't really make him more interesting to me when they did that. Oh, oh I get. I get you there. I, I agree. It was not. I mean, it was not fantastic. But what I'm saying is, they at least acknowledged that he was as two dimensional as he come. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like how Captain America has frequently been portrayed. Yeah, right? true. Completely rigid, and and right, whatever. Um, I don't think I've liked Cyclops more than in. I I guess for me current and for everyone else three years ago, this whole thing that post Phoenix force, this post Phoenix force Cyclops where Mm -hmm. he's, 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 he's Magneto. Yeah. I'm completely removed from that. I have no idea what's going on there. That's interesting. He's basically a villain. So I'm only at least right now. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, What about, what else? So uh, Nightcrawler was a thing that people were talking about. I liked him. 
I liked him better than I thought I would. I did yeah. not like his face and his look and how young and and gangly he seemed when I saw him early on. I kind of like that actually because Nightcrawler's always been the like the skinny, lanky yeah. fella. I never saw him with. Bi- I mean, I think about particularly the way Cockrum drew him, and he did have big eyes, mm-hmm. but. I never saw him as as youthful in the face. I always saw him as lean. Yeah, not- and that's true. But I mean, this character in particular, they really wanted. I I feel like they wanted him to kind of be the the innocent cipher to a certain extent. He was the yeah, newbie, sure. and I did think it was interesting that they went with the Cummings version of him uh-huh. in like a youthful version of it. The I design that was interesting. With all the sigils and stuff on his skin. And yeah. And I, I like that they... Yeah. I don't know if that's my favorite version of Nightcrawler by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was interesting that they went that way. It was better than I thought it was going to be. I liked that they introduced him through the gladiator pit concept, and I liked that he had that strange Sergeant Pepper thing going on. And, yeah. You know, just... He, yeah, he became more interesting in the film than I than I expected, so that was good. Yeah, um, yeah, and then some of the other characters, you know, they threw characters against the wall, and we hardly ever saw them, like Jubilee. <laughs> right? Yeah, they made this big thing about Jubilee, and they showed all these pictures of her, and she was in like two scenes tops, if that. So, this may have been happening right when I fell asleep, but did uh, did Alex Summers bite it? Didn't he bring? Scott to the mansion and then he bit it. Something happened to him. What did happen? He got blasted. He died. Yeah, I, I genuinely don't remember what happened. I I feel like Apocalypse did something to him, whether it was via Cerebro or something else. But yeah, he did die in it. I do remember that pretty distinctly, which I thought was kind of interesting. Ever since I saw Nicholas Holt and other things, I'm really distracted by how uh, interesting and handsome he is as human, <laughs> right? And that when they put him in the beast makeup, when he goes beastie, it's neat looking. Mm-hmm. But but it's similar to what happened with Jennifer Lawrence. People kind of want to see the actor or actress right. as themselves and not in under all that prosthetic. Particularly as charming and handsome as he is in in he, person, he really yeah. is. He really is, and so yeah. But I've always liked the version of Beast that we've had in the. In you this know, continuity. The only thing that bothers me about it now that somebody else brought it up, my, my co-host on the other website I'm on, uh, mentioned the fact that you never see him reading a book in this. Yeah. And that does kind of bother me once once it was brought to my attention. <laughs> in the previous one, was he? It, I feel like I've seen him upside down reading. Oh, that was Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer did. But we yeah, never yeah. see the Nicholas Holt version reading a book or even like like an e-reader or something like that. I I would have liked to have seen something along those lines. An e-reader, a Kindle. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I guess you know, 80s. But for all the hate on uh, X-Men United, Mm-hmm. And I hated a lot of it. Um, I actually really like Kelsey Grammer. As I the Beast. loved him as the Beast. I thought he had just the right voice for it. His, and... imp- his look and sound was the Beast from the comics that I loved. It really was... was. All right, so there were some there was some art- artifice in the story on this movie that we have to talk about. One being they had to find a way to to squeeze in giant apocalypse and all of his magical powers, and so they made them. <laughs> Dream sequence powers. Yeah. Did we really need the giant apocalypse smack? No, I think it was completely unnecessary. 
I so it was not just me. I was like, what is you know happening? the 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 last scene had the same problem all the Marvel movies have, where they tried to cram too much weird crap in. In this one, at least they didn't have an obscene quantity of things, but like the the fight scenes were all pretty shitty, and particularly the dream sequence giant apocalypse stuff. It just yeah. seemed really silly to me. Well, and also look at how much work they put into finding a glamorous way of making Xavier bald. Right. But it has to be a factor in the brain sucking or whatever the hell, power <laughs> right. sucking, creating. I mean, I'll give them this. They found a way, even if it was cheesy, mm-hmm. they actually found a, a internally consistent structure in the story that would explain why he looks the way he does. Right. Because we saw Apocalypse taking other hosts and them their hair changes <laughs> everything looks their physiology changes as right. he's going to go in and xavier changing before he goes in and then it doesn't you know whatever and so I, I i accepted it because it was like at least internally consistent right it's like it was like it, this is someone's fifth grade you know writing project and i can say well they <laughs> established they, they met the objectives of the assignment check yes however as unglamorous as it would have been to me it really needed to be um, you know, last you know, we just needed to see some receding hair and then him shaving it. Right. There right. was no reason we couldn't have had him. And I say this as a guy who at nineteen, at nineteen or twenty, shaved my head because <laughs> I was losing my hair. Right. Um, I was completely happy with it, and would, I would not go back. But I'm telling you, there would have been it would have been perfectly simple and reasonable scene for him to have just been like looking in the mirror. Like I seen a quick scene where he's glancing in the mirror, and then the next thing you see him do is someone come in to talk to him, and he's shaving. Yeah. Like professor, what are you doing? He's like, you know. Yeah. Things change, and we must change with them. You know. That's all they had to do. Done. Right. Choice. Right. Didn't. That said, him with the shaved head and the blue suit in the wheelchair at the very end. Yeah. Damn, that looked just like the comic books. Threaten my threaten my school. Oh my god, that was amazing. So there was another artifice. Oh, oh no, no, you know what I was going to say. Um, something that I thought I was not going to like that I did like was mm-hmm. Mystique being shoved into the center because of the star power of Jennifer Lawrence. Right. The one thing about X-Men comics, if you've read them for, for a long time, is that there's a recurring theme of another character taking on the leadership role of the mentorship role. Right. And sometimes it's a character that's atypical for the X-Men. So the first time I remember this being the case, it was X-Men 200, I think. And it was Magneto taking over. Mm-hmm. Leadership of the X-Men as a, as a teacher and a, and a trainer. And it was right. like, oh, my God. Right. It was, and it, remember, I remember it felt like really weird. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like something felt inherently um, um, seedy about it. And yet, and like you don't trust his... his his motivations and then he's proven to be legit and you're like wow okay and so then we've seen that because later on we saw him frost leading the x-men we've seen you know certainly in in more recent times we've seen wolverine mm-hmm. and you know other characters attempting to lead the school right so i like the fact that mystique was taking the newbies out and saying okay here's the thing xavier's method didn't work the school is a nice idea we need paramilitary we need to train you and we need to train you now exactly I, you know, I, again, in the context of the story, I totally bought it. I was fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I have a problem with with the Mystique thing is that so many of her roles prior to this movie 
they gave her the Kitty Pride role, basically. Right. And in this one, she had a little more to do, and so I liked her a lot better in it in that respect. Right. Uh, aside from the very the finale, where they go up to the whole talking to Magneto thing through the wall with her and him, it just uh-huh. it felt so anticlimactic in a lot of ways. But yeah. I did like her a lot better in this than I've liked her in a lot of the other X-Men movies and the way they've crammed Mystique in. And I certainly like her better than anything that... Uh, they did with Mystique prior to the Jennifer Lawrence version. But you know what it comes down to, though, is that why she was... Why, when it worked in this movie, it only worked because you had to put your brain aside and say that's not Mystique. Right. It is... It has to be Kitty Pride, or it has to be another another character who's taking on that... This, you know, a sobered character that's gone out in the world has come back and said, okay, here's what's really going on. Right. Right? Mystique should have been blue and weird and not trusting anybody and being really begrudgingly involved because they established that that's her natural state. Right. And that's always been her personality. It's always been the prickly, uh, you can't touch her, you can't relate to her. She's not a leader. She lurks in the shadows and is more of an assassin, that type of character. And a cynic. Yeah. Yeah. And then for for Jennifer Lawrence to suddenly be the looking like herself, yeah. and a little bit more earnest, um, yeah, right. It's exactly right. It, it, it was like if you could have just changed time and had someone else playing Mystique and had Jennifer Lawrence being being some alternate version of Kitty Pryde, she would have been amazing. Went out in the world and came back, or Absolutely. she could have been Carol Danvers, or she could have mm-hmm. been uh, Dazzler, or any of these other characters from the comics that we haven't seen yet or right. haven't affected seen. And meant, and then have her come back and lead them. It would have been, yeah, fine. yeah. It was the abandonment of the, of the mystiqueness of her that that was. Uh, As jarring. comic readers, it upsets us. As non-comic readers, I can understand how they're just like, we don't have a problem with her. She's rad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I keep hoping secretly that. Well, not that secretly, since I've been telling people. But I keep hoping that they will do the Dark Phoenix saga with the next episode or installment of the X-Men. And that they will introduce a Kitty Pride in the classic Paul and Claremont style of introduction with her and the Dark Phoenix and the progression of it and stuff. I think it'd be really interesting to do that story the right way kind of thing with Burn. Chris, and... it has to be... I mean, you're dead on. And they've indicated that they probably will do the Phoenix mm-hmm. story as the next step. First of all, I think Singer's had his... I mean, we, he came back. Right. And now we need him to go away and let's just... Right. I just I'm done with singer on this stuff. I yeah. want someone a little I want someone with a little more nuance um and a little edge just to do something right. that thrills me when I'm watching it that doesn't make me feel like I'm that it's been that it's been neutered for mainstream acceptance. Like Absolutely. I just, I just want something with a little bit more urgency to it. I wanted Ryan Johnson to do X Men. That would be really I was thinking interesting. that in the in the theater, or maybe I dreamt it, right? In the right. Theater. But I remember getting that vibe when I was walking out. I was like, what would Ryan Johnson have done? Like, I was imagining <laughs> the cinematography of Looper. Mm-hmm. And I was imagining it applied to, and certainly the Rogue One trailer. Yeah. And then I was imagining that applied to to, to, to an X-Men movie. And I was like, that's that's the urgency that I want. Yeah, it would be this, super right? interesting. Yeah. 
and you're dead on about the sto- the the story structure of another film and what it needs to be. It needs to be focused on a young Kitty Pride mm-hmm. coming to the school, yeah, and meeting, and then all these characters that we're familiar with are strangers to her. Right. She's got to be idealist and grounded and see it. We have to be able to see it through her eyes for it to be fresh and interesting for us. Because the last couple, even with the, the radical changes they've done, it's just doesn't have that same sense of wonder that the X-Men should have. It's, the X-Men movies, and, and to some degree, I think what I fear from Justice League will be similar. Mm-hmm. They're banking on fan nostalgia for the characters to fill in the blanks and make us feel like we understand the characterization on film. Absolutely. Which, which is really not there. And what we need is what made Kitty Pride so powerful in the comics. She is your way in. Right. It has to be like, I mean, there have been movies. Think about movies that, um, that what's her name was in Juno, for example, right? Where what's her name? Ellen page. Is Ellen name. page. <laughs> uh, she had a look that would that worked for me for Kitty Pride, and yet when they actually put her in the movies, it didn't. It wasn't the right. It wasn't written the way I wanted. Kitty yeah, Pride to be. yeah. The vibe wasn't there. Um, but if you look at the way that actress has played those kinds of roles, again, like you know, she's mm-hmm. she is very compelling to watch as a as a protagonist who feels isolated and. And yet, a little bit optimistic, but then a little vulnerable. I mean, we could. Yeah, absolutely. It could have been that that actress could have been that Kitty Pride. We, mm-hmm. we didn't get it. But I want someone totally different. I want a different actress. I want Me a different too. focus. And I want it to be about her being like, "Well, this is weird, but I can kind of dig it." Yeah. Right. Yeah, it needs to be somebody young, and you know, like friggin' hire a sixteen or seventeen year old kid to play Kitty Pride and have it be the kid that's coming in off of this and having the the weird father figure in Wolverine or whatever they decide to do with that. I don't know if they can do Dark Phoenix without Wolverine, but... It was a thing in the comics that she was so young that she shouldn't be in the mansion alone. Right. Over Christmas or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Like she was quite literally younger than everybody else. Um, uh, so, you know... I almost smell a fantasy film casting coming on, except we have to give you another year to finish your <laughs> Runaways one. But, uh, you know, the other, you know, I was struck by one other casting choice I would have changed. And maybe it's because of some things that Ty Sheridan does have going on in his face as mm-hmm. uh, Cyclops. But so everybody hate, hated on the Fantastic Four film and we haven't talked about it yet. I don't I haven't think. seen it still. We have not talked about it. OK, I need to watch um, it. It's on HBO now, so I should catch up. But. But what's interesting about that is for all the things that people hated about it, it was the first film where I saw Miles Teller and didn't hate him. See, I can't I stand liked him. him. I can't. I, know. I, I don't I know, know if I can get over him. Even even as you've said that, and I usually believe things you say, I have a hard time I, believing that. <laughs> it's it's like, like you come to me and you're like, that's Lex Luthor in that Batman movie. He was pretty good. I'd be like... Fuck you, Tom. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> you heard that the most the most listener reaction we've gotten yet to date on this podcast has been people coming up to me at random and saying, Dickhead. <laughs> you were like wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Your opinion is invalid. I'm sorry, but Meth Luther is not an appropriate villain. <laughs> Meth Luther. So anyway, I actually liked um Miles Teller in in uh I liked him in Fantastic Four. I mean, a million times more than 
Ian Guffold or whatever, however you pronounce his I have, name. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. But you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. So, yes. Um, I actually found Miles, Miles Teller um, compelling to watch in Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in him in this new movie where they're the 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 Gunrunners. Oh, yeah. Out. That actually yeah. doesn't look bad. I'm surprised, but it doesn't look bad. War Dogs... But I was watching uh, Ty Sheridan stumble around with the giant glasses on, and suddenly I had this realization that I wanted Miles Teller to be Cyclops. Weird. Yeah. I mean, I guess he is a generic, unappealing white dude, so I guess I'm okay with it, but whatever. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Controversial statement. Pro Miles Teller. Whatever. I'll, so, I'll allow you to be pro Miles Teller. I'd prefer you being all over that than saying that what's his ass is a good Lex Luthor. So we'll we'll allow. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> well, and so okay. So here's my that was my um, my unpopular opinion, almost devil's advocate, thrown at you. But when you think about how people reacted to this film, and I think about how I reacted to it, it reminds me of how some of the defense of Batman v Superman has gone. Mm-hmm. People. People have argued that the hatred for that movie or the the frustrations with that movie are coming from fanboy obsession with the source material right. and inability to be flexible and un- unrealistic expectations. And in a way – and we tore BVS apart while rationalizing it when we reviewed it. <laughs> yes. But – and I felt it was deeply flawed but had its moments and I enjoyed it when I watched it. But mm. And then just like this one, like you said, you walk out of it and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Right. This is another movie where I feel like the the lovers of this film would say that you're not being you're being too hard on it if you complain about some of the things we've talked about, mm-hmm. right? That your your filter, your ro- your ruby your ruby lens filter, if you will, Ooh, will will girl. <laughs> will affect your bias towards the film and if you looked at it without this nostalgic bias, you would see something different. But and yet though, I think the only way that it does work mm-hmm. is it that you're so like you said, you're so nostalgic for Jim Lee X Men. Right. I I really think those are the people that are enjoying this movie. I enjoyed it. Despite yeah. the fact that I can point out flaw after flaw after flaw flaw of it, I enjoyed it more than Batman versus Superman because this was a nostalgia thing for me. And yeah. It filled that aspect of an X-Men movie that I would want to see without them, like, going as, like, like slavishly devoted to, like, that cartoon version of it kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like Watchmen where they just storyboarded, they used the right. comics as a storyboard and just made the thing, which, and again, I like that too. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. But, I mean, I will say it had a lot of problems and I slept through a, a lot of <laughs> But yeah, it did feel like an X-Men film and it felt like the story from the X- it felt like a good it felt like someone describing to me the general storyline of X-Men from that time period and Apocalypse and how that worked. Yes. That's what it felt like to me. Like I had my own ideas about how it should have looked and maybe how some of the plot should have gone and some of the you know casting choices, but the bottom line is it did it it was an Apocalypse story, had the four horsemen, had a big battle, they won. The X-Men were restored and we're good. And so, you know, I can't say that it was a failure in that regard. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm looking forward to watching it again and actually seeing the middle part. And also, hey, do That's I remember? That's what the... she said. Uh, it's painful. <laughs> so wasn't it at the end that there was like some sneaky shit like uh, Psylocke, like in, like she slunk away? Slinked, slinked, yeah, slinked, yeah, they slinked killed away. Angel pretty, pretty dramatically. And Psylocke's just like, like... 
she did virtually nothing. She cut a car in half. She sparred yes. with Beast a little bit. She got thrown into a building, and then she just sat there and watched the rest of it. She ate some popcorn, and at the she end, she was like, "She hung on to a blackbird, though." Peace out. Yeah, blackbird, yeah, that's cool. true. Yeah, and the whole blackbird thing I thought was pretty. We didn't talk about that, but I liked the whole blackbird stuff in this movie. That I was they pretty cool. That. Yeah, yeah. So, but but she slunk away as if to suggest she's the only member of. She's the only member of the antagonism and antagonist side of this movie that didn't come around and say, like, never mind, we're joining the right. X-Men. Or that they killed. She's the only one. Yeah. Yeah, or that they killed. She's the only one that, like, walked backed away rather than joined the others. Right. right. So, you know, they're leaving the door open for being able to use her in a negative way in another film. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully she gets more than seven minutes of friggin' screen time. And better poses and less nude fabric. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that was what? X-Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse. X-Men. What was your red tentacle moment? Red Ooh. tentacle. The red tentacle moment. I have it. Brought to you by Kraken Rum, the official unofficial sponsor of Robot <laughs> Kraken. Which I've seen you liberally applying into your drink there while we've been talking. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> slug, slug, so, slug. It's a small one, but my random red tentacle moment was a scene that I really enjoyed. It was very classic classic Paul Smith Claremont X-Men. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, wait for it. Here comes Tom's small red tentacle. <laughs> this happened. I demand respect from you, Chris. You don't make comments about my red tentacle. <laughs> when you bring it out like this... All right. I... <laughs> Here it is. Let's get real. This is a real moment. Turn your chair around. <clears throat> My red tentacle moment. I'm sitting erect. Cla <sighs> My red tentacle moment. Classic. Paul Smith, Claremont era. Small thing. Don't do it. <laughs> it's when Scott loses control and blasts at you know he he the was dream. on the school grounds and he blasts the tree. Yeah. And showed a glimpse of so to speak of. <laughs> The raw power of his optic beams mm -hmm. and how he's constantly struggling to keep them in check. I did like that. That moment was so classic X-Men to me. Back yeah. before he's just – back before your favorite era of, of Jim Lee era where they just I said that's where I started reading. I didn't say it was my favorite era. Hold his hand to his head. <laughs> blast. Color half the panel red so you don't have to draw anything. Right. He's just blasting everything with generic blasts that have no no – heat or mass or weight or power of any kind just blasts <laughs> this was like this was the reminder of what raw power he was really holding in check and that accidental burning down of the tree was that was just quintessential x-men to me I loved yeah it. yeah and, about, and the, the little quip at the end where my my great-grandfather planted that tree was really good <laughs> too i like that uh, speaking of that whole thing, the the rebuilding of the school was fucking ludicrous at the end of the movie. I don't even remember it. They like literally like it ends with like this epilogue where everybody's like pitching in together and rebuilding the school from the rubble, and so it was basically a hundred percent built back up at the oh, end sure. of the movie. Like nothing had happened. They're just like reset. That's comics. Re re yeah, yeah, comics reconstruction. That was nonsense. Um. God, I asked you that, and with the, the theory of me thinking of what mine was while you talked about it, and then I was busy making fun of you for your small red tentacle. Um, no, and then you were in awe of my red tentacle selection. And yeah, it was an excellent it. choice, I do have to admit. Uh, you know, 
It certainly wasn't the cage match at the opening because that was stupid too. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I really liked the the stuff with Magneto before he was Magneto again. The the he, Fastbender acted his ass off in those scenes. Being with his family to... and his mutant daughter and her kind of weird powers that they threw in there for just like I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Well, how about the pressure he was under to stay undercover? Yeah. And then watch and then, you know, just being a regular Joe with those guys and then used his seeing powers, the one guy having an slip. accident. Not, yeah. Yeah. Just like, I really like that. And what was neat about that was for all of his sturm and drang about being, you know, that's not who I am. I'm, a, you know, I'm a bad guy. I'm, mm-hmm. a, you know, I've got all these, you know, demands for power and ascendancy and 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 destiny. All this. <clears throat> In the end, that was an instinct of of right of right versus wrong. That was right. a that was a virtuous thing that he felt compelled to do. Yeah, absolutely. Which spoke volumes to the character, the, the man behind all of that pain and and bitterness, right? Yeah. Yeah, he could have let that. He could have let that guy. There were many. There have been other stories with Magneto where you would have expected him to let that guy die rather than. Yeah, totally. Himself. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, so that's your red tentacle. Yeah, that's my red tentacle. Uh, okay, so then that's it, right? Yeah, yeah, that is the that's episode for the evening. Uh, this has been the Robot Kraken Podcast with Chris and Tom. Bum bum bum. Come back next week, or better yet, subscribe so you don't have to come back anywhere. It just automatically happens. Downloads, and you just have to listen to it automatically. In your pocket. It just <laughs> a red tentacle. You'll feel the red tentacle twitch, and you're like, "It's time for another episode of." Robot I'm Crack. vibrating. <laughs> uh, have a good uh, night, everyone. <laughs> Adios. <laughs>